I'd like to talk today about the idea of Ganeden in Tanakh, um, the centrality of Ganeden, or perhaps really it'd be, we'd be um, more accurate if we said the lack of centrality of Ganeden in Tanakh. Of course, the idea of Ganeden, paradise, it occupies perhaps a central theme in, um, in our thoughts, in Chazal's thoughts, and all sorts of ideas of the idyllic world. I really want to talk, though, about uh, paradise in Tanakh, what kind of role it plays. Um, and of course, really the main place where we find Ganeden, really the only place where we find Ganeden in Tanakh, is in Parshat Breshit, in our Parsha. Um, and this is when God, uh, in Perak Bet, creates this garden in order to place Adam Harishon. Um, and that's where man begins his relationship with God in the Torah. Perak Aleph details a very, um, a very technical creation of the world in Perkabet begins the relationship between God and man or begins to describe the relationship between God and man um, and and in order to allow this relationship to flourish God creates the Garden of Eden and he places man in this garden he places man in this garden with uh, the following words Vayanichehu vegan Eden leovda uleshomra so Adam Harishon is placed into Gan Eden with the primary mission of guarding and cultivating this garden. Um, presumably, these responsibilities that uh, Adam Harishon has are intended to prepare and train man for his relationship with God, um, a point that is often developed by Rav Salvechik, particularly, if I recall correctly, developed by Rav Salvechik in Sacred and Profane, is the idea that agricultural work cultivates certain qualities that enable man or are necessary for man in his relationship with God. Agricultural work, for example, cultivates patience, devotion, humility, perseverance, commitment to something, love of the soil, as opposed to what the Rav calls a nomadic existence. And here, of course, it is, I think, highly significant that Adam Harishon is originally given the task of agricultural um, work, le'ovda. He's placed into a garden, le'ovda u'leshomra. Um, nevertheless, I think it must be pointed out that Adam Harishon's job doesn't appear to necessitate too much work on his part. So if we see the description in Parak Bet, we're told, God plants this garden in Eden. God makes grow from the ground all of the trees that are beautiful to see and that are good to eat. And if you look in the next Pasuk, in Pasuk Yud, right, that there's a natural water so- source that um, comes out from Eden in order to water the garden. And it has four different parts and each one is named. Um, a water source irrigates this garden. Adam Harishon's work is, is minimal. It's perhaps one, one might say it's token. Um, he doesn't really have to do that much. God has already planted the trees, and of course this water source is constantly flowing and, and rejuvenating and refreshing itself. Um, now, in general, I think the description in Parakabet of Adam Harishon's life in the garden is harmonious. It's uh, idyllic. Um, he lives a simple, harmonious 
existence. And, and the harmony that, um, that one sees here can be found in several arenas. One might even call them the key arenas of man's life. Number one, he lives in harmony with nature as the land blossoms easily and beautifully, as we noted previously. Uh, number two, he lives in harmony with the animal kingdom. The animals are dominated by Adam Harishon, and um, this perhaps may be indicated by the fact that Adam Harishon gives them names in Pasuk Kaf, or even before that in Pasuk Yutet, God brings to Adam all of the animals to see what he will call them, and in Pasuk Kaf, Vayikra Adam Shemot L'chol Habema Adam Harishon calls names, gives names to all the animals, perhaps indicating his domination over them. Um, the third area of harmony that can be perceived in Adam Harishon's life in the Garden of Eden is his relationship with his wife. Um, and here we have a very harmonious description, even in terms of the poetic language that is used uh, to describe Adam's reaction after um, after his wife is brought to him. He says in Pasuk of Gimel, Vayomer Adam, Zot apam, etzem me'atzamai, uvasar mi'bisari, lezot yikare isha ki me'ish, Lukacha zot. Right, so you have here all these uh, words that mirror each other. She is the bone of my bones and the flesh of my flesh. She is an isha because she is taken from an ish. Etzem atzamai vasar bisari isha ish. And Adam and, and his and his wife are here described living purely and innocently. Al zov ish et aviv et imo v'davak biishto v'hayu levasar echad. They live purely and innocently, naked, without shame. This is the natural description of a particularly harmonious relationship between man and woman. Of course, perhaps most importantly, the fourth area in which man lives in harmony in the garden is that he lives in harmony with God. God uh, is described as Kol Hashem Elohim Mitalech Bagan, Mitalech Bagan. The sound of God's voice is somehow walking around the garden. And, um, and man, in, in, until the point, obviously, that he sins, seems to live in harmony with God. In short, we have a description of a harmonious, hierarchical existence um, in which everyone knows his place and behaves accordingly. And this appears to be the ideal world as envisioned by the beginning of the Torah. It is this world which constitutes the idyllic, paradisical existence. This is the world, presumably, that we aspire to in terms of the ideal setting, the ideal environment for our relationship with the Kaddish Baruch and then, of course, as the story continues, Adam and Chava betray their world. They betray their God. They betray one another, and they sin. And the harmonious story turns into a tragedy, a story of catastrophe. The entire harmonious hierarchical structure of life in paradise dissolves. And instead, the curses are imposed upon this once harmonious world. First and foremost, if we look at the curses, no longer does the world blossom effortlessly and beautifully. Instead, what do we have in Perak Gimel, Pasuk uh, um, Yudzayin, Arurah Adama Ba'avurecha, Cursed be the, the soil because of you, Be'itzavon Tochalena, Kol Yemei Chayecha, you will eat in great 
uh, anguish or pain. Uh, it will be very difficult. Thorns and thistles will grow. You will eat bread only by the sweat of your brow. Life is not going to be so effortless. Man's hegemony over nature, a world which blossoms effortlessly and, and easily and beautifully, this world has basically disappeared. Um, now in terms of man's relationship with the animal kingdom, perhaps that may be perceived in the curse that is given to the snake, in which the snake is told, Ve'eva ashit bincha uven ha'isha, uven zar'acha uven zar'a. Hu yishufcha rosh ve'ata tishufenu akev. Man and snake are doomed to live in perpetual enmity, symbolizing perhaps the dissolution of the peace which reigned until now between man and the animal kingdom. Uh, at some point, man and animal do not live in such harmony as was indicated in Perakabet. And perhaps this moment of the curse is the watershed moment in which no longer is it a given that man has hegemony over the animal, but rather man and animal are engaged in some sort of struggle, in some sort of um, uh, contest. Um, of course, the area which is most obvious that um, that the peace and harmony that once reigned no longer shall reign is between man and his wife. Immediately after the sin, the sort of naive purity that we saw in the original description, Vishnehem Eromim Veloyit Boshashu, changes as they begin to feel shame. But more importantly, of course, they're cursed with an imbalance in their relationship. In Pasuk Tetzayin, in Per Gimel, God says to the woman, Harbar be itzvonech veheronech beetzav teldi vanim veel ishech shukatech vuhu yimshol bach. To your husband shall be your desire, God says, and therefore, I added in the therefore, I think the therefore is indicated here, therefore he shall rule you. And yet, perhaps most significant of all of the um, of all of the the areas in which harmony has dissolved is the area between man and God. Man is banished from the garden of God's presence. He's banished from the tree of life. Um, and this we're told at the end of Parak Gimel. The end of Parak Gimel, we're told, God sends him from Gan Eden. Uh, he banishes man. And he makes him dwell east of Eden. Oh, I'm sorry, he makes the Kruvim um, uh, dwell east of Eden and the fiery turning over sword that guards man's entrance, that guards man from, again, having access to the Eitz HaChayim. Um, this is perhaps the punish, the, the fulfillment of the punishment in Perak Bet Pasuk Yudzayin. Of course, we have a very difficult exegetical problem in Perak Bet Pasuk Yudzayin because God tells Adam Harishon, Kiviyom achalchami menu mot tamut. On the day that you eat from this tree of knowledge, um, you will surely die. And of course, we know that Adam Harishon doesn't die that day. This is, of course, a problem that the Mepharshim have dealt with extensively. I would suggest here that perhaps the death that is alluded to is the prevention of access to the 
Eitz HaChayim, to the tree of life. When Adam Arishon uh, eats from the tree of knowledge and his wife eats from the tree of knowledge, they are banished from access to the tree of life. What is this tree of life? This tree of life perhaps is access to God. As we say at the end of Sefer Dvarim, I've given you a choice between life and death, between good and bad. What is life? Life is clearly there, not living in uh, in any sort of physical way, because obviously most people, in, in if they're uh, sane, would choose life rather than death, uh, but rather choose a kind of a life, a life which is eternal, a life which is uh, predicated on one's relationship with God. And so here, Adam Harishon's death, and I, I put that in quotes, is in fact banishment from God, banishment from the, the tree of life, banishment from the symbol of life, and his expulsion into a way of life which is rather lifeless, cold, uh, dead to a certain extent, because it is devoid of the immediacy of God's presence. Now, um, what, what I what I want to continue to discuss now that we've described what this life was, and and we've described what happens when Adam and Chava betray the world and are banished from this idyllic existence. I want to ask the, the perhaps the most important question that can be asked in the aftermath of this story, and that is, why is Gan Eden? not a central feature of the rest of Tanakh. If, in fact, we have here this description of this wonderful existence, this harmonious existence, what is perhaps the perfect environment for man's relationship, for the cultivation of man's relationship with the Kadesh Baruch Hu, um, then why does no one search for or attempt to return to this utopian um, garden? It's not even mentioned neither Avram, nor Yitzchak, nor Yaakov, nor Moshe, all of whom do actively pursue and seek an intimate relationship with God, a harmonious relationship with God, they never seek out this garden. In fact, curiously enough, the only one who actually ever seems to be looking for the for, for Ganadin is, in fact, Lot. Um, and that's in Parakut Gimel, when uh, when Avram suggests to Lot that they part ways, so Lot lifts up his eyes and he sees the 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 cities of the plain of the of the Jordan Valley, and he sees that they are watered, that they have uh, have a certain fertility to them because they have access to water. Obviously, very different than the. Um, what we see when we look down there today. Um, and it's described as, This is before God destroyed Stom and Amorah. Like the garden of God. And the garden of God is like Eretz Mitzrayim. This is very interesting in and of itself. Um, many of the Mepharshim here obviously do point out that he is searching for Gan Eden. I want to leave aside exactly what Lod is, is doing, what, what, where he went wrong there. I want to get back to the original question, which is, Lod looks for the Garden of Eden. Why not Avraham? Certainly Moshe, David, somebody should be saying to God at some point during the course of their relationship with God, which, you know, especially those who have more access to God, closer access to God, like, for example, Moshe Rabbeinu, could you bring us back to the Garden of Eden? That's what we're looking for in life. Uh, why don't they ask for that? Well, actually, of course, this is, this is not really so true, because all of these um, figures that I've mentioned above do, in fact, seek the Garden of Eden. 
However, it's no longer called Gan Eden. And this, I think, is a rather important but certainly obvious point. Um, and that is that the, the biblical quest to inherit the land of Israel is actually an attempt to re-enter the Garden of Eden. Or, if we'll be more precise, we would say to recreate the type of life that existed in the Garden of Eden prior to the sin of Adam and Chava. So the search for, for the land of, of Israel is, in fact, a search for a land which incorporates pre-sin Gan Eden-like conditions. In the land of Israel, first of all, man and God are supposed to live a harmonious, intimate existence. It's a place where kol Hashem And as we know, we say it every day in Kriyat Shema, when man and God live in a harmonious state in Eretz Yisrael, this finds expression in the easy, easy blossoming of the land. Right? If you listen to God, if you live in harmony with God, the land will blossom easily and effortlessly. In fact, it seems that there are several places I think that this point is made very clear in Tanakh. Perhaps I'll just mention as a side something which I don't really have time to get into, but which the Midrash is certainly very aware of, and that is that perhaps the fullest expression of this idea is the similarity, exists in the similarity between the Beit HaMikdash and Ganeden, right? The only two places where Kruvim appear in Tanakh is in Ganeden, or rather, more accurately, outside of Ganeden, and of course, deep in the Beit HaMikdash, not just deep in the Kodesh Kodeshim, but throughout the Beit Mikdash, we have images of the Kruvim that are woven into the curtains, etc., etc. Um, in any case, though, the, certainly if we say that Eretz Israel is the recreation of Gan Eden, we might say that the most concentrated form of this recreation exists in the Beit HaMikdash. Um, this, is, this is true throughout Tanakh. It's also true throughout Chazal. Perhaps... Um, uh, one of the places where it is most obvious, it's most evident, this idea, is in the beginning of the section of Tanakh that is commonly known as the Tochacha, and that's in Vayikra, Perak Kavav, um, in Parshat Bechukotai, the beginning of Parshat Bechukotai, before we get to the punishments um, uh, that God will give Am Yisrael if they are bad, we have a section in which God tells Am Yisrael, He tells His people, that if they keep His commandments, their reward shall be the land of Israel, and particularly the special conditions that are attached to it. And these conditions undoubtedly evoke the conditions of Gan Eden prior to the sin. So if you follow with me, if you turn to Vayikra, Perak Kavav, the 26th chapter of Vayikra, in Pasuk Gimel, um, uh, Am Yisrael is told, telechu, If you go, if you go in my statutes, tishmeru, and you keep my commandments, otam, and you do them, this is what I'll give you. Gishmechem bitam, I'll give you rain in the proper time. Piryo, right, the land will give its produce, the tree of the field will give its fruit, that reminds us a little bit of Gan Eden. Look at the next pasuk. You will eat your bread and be satiated to satiation, as opposed to the curses that we had at the end of Gan Eden. By the sweat of your brow you shall eat bread. In, as we continue in, in pasuk Vav, we see, I will get rid of evil animals from your land. In other words, 
harmony will again exist between man and animals. There will be no sword in your land, as opposed to that fiery sword that God had placed outside of Gan Eden in order to bar um, man's re-entrance into the Gan, to find God. And here in Pasuk Yud Aleph, we are told, God will place his dwelling place amongst us. In other words, we will have the recreation of the man-God relationship. And more particularly in Pasuk Yud Bet, I will walk amongst you once again. Kol Hashem bagan. The voice of God walks around the gan. We are told. And so what we have here in Vayikra Kavav is a depiction of the recreation of the precursed conditions of Gan Eden. Harmony reigns again in Eretz Yisrael as man's allegiance to God reverses the curses brought about by man who severs his link to God in the story, in the tragic uh, story in Gan Eden. And the message of Eretz Yisrael is very similar to the message of Gan Eden. The message is, if you retain allegiance to God, if you maintain your religious integrity, if you remain committed to His commandments, then harmony will reign in the land of Israel, and an idyllic, paradisical lifestyle will ensue. In one case, we were talking about the physical locality of the Garden of Eden, Perhaps assuming that it's actually meant to be a physical place. In another place, though, this place, this this idea has sort of morphed into the physical embodiment of Eretz Yisrael. Uh, failure to follow these commandments, both in Gan Eden and in Eretz Yisrael, is uh, will result in expulsion, as the land in which God's presence is so palpably felt cannot abide man's sinfulness, cannot abide man's betrayal of God. Um, I'd like to just just uh, um, now explore one other aspect of this, and that is that one has to ask the question, okay, so why don't we just go back to the Garden of Eden? Why do we need Eretz Yisrael? Is there any difference between Gan Eden and Eretz Yisrael? And here I want to emphasize that I think this is the key to understanding the transition between the original Garden of Eden and the uh, what eventually happens with Gan Eden, and that is, of course, that it it is replaced by the idea of Eretz Yisrael, which, of course, is a very central idea in Tanakh, and everybody wants to get into the land of Israel, including all of the people that I mentioned above, Abraham and, and uh, Moshe, etc., etc. Um, see, what happens is, is that in an effort to prevent the tragic um, results of Gan Eden, the catastrophe of Gan Eden, God does not send them back to the garden. Because the garden is surrounded by lush rivers. And that we mentioned before rather briefly. Uh, but we mentioned that the garden is easily irrigated and that Adam Rishon doesn't have to do too much work. And so it is very deliberate, and this is a point which I think is a central point in Tanakh, um, that God chooses a land which has no natural water source. And in fact, Israel is described using two very common descriptions of its borders in the Tanakh. Uh, the minimalist border, again without sounding political, is Dan ve'ad Be'er Sheva, the northernmost border is Dan, the southernmost border is Be'er Sheva. But we also have a maximalist description of Eretz Yisrael's borders that appears quite frequently. Min Nahar Hagadol, Nahar Mitzrayim, Ad Nahar Prat. From the Great River, the River of Egypt, until the Euphrates River, the Tigris and the Euphrates, in the Mesopotamian, Mesopotamian uh, uh, fertile crescent, the area up north of Israel. 
Now this description, I think, is very important to understand that it seems to me that this is a case of ad vilo ad bichlal. In other words, the land of Israel is up to but not including these two huge rivers. Um, actually, it's quite interesting that in most sources, with, with the exception of, I believe, uh, the description of the border of Israel in Bamidbar, I think Lamed Dalid, um, there's no eastern border to Eretz Yisrael, or oftentimes Eretz Yisrael is not described with an eastern border. Again, I don't mean to sound political. Uh, this is just, in fact, the the reality. And it seems to me that the reason is is because what we're concerned about in limiting the area of Eretz Yisrael is that Eretz Yisrael should not have a natural water source. These natural water sources, both the Tigris and the Euphrates and the Nile, are a lifeline to their surrounding areas, and of course the economic boon to the areas, right, the jewel of the Nile. It is no coincidence that the two ancient civilizations which contain these two rivers, Egypt and Mesopotamia, are the two superpowers of the day. And in contrast to them, and here I want to I say most emphatically, in deliberate contrast to them, we have the land of Israel. Its description is meant to be seen in contrast. The land of Israel is completely unlike the land of Egypt. And we have a very important and interesting description in Devarim Perakid Aleph, right before the second paragraph of Kriyat Shema, where Eretz Yisrael is described in its very theological essence. And here we're told in Pasuk Yud, in Devarim Yud Aleph Yud, Ki ha'aretz asher atava shama l'rishta lo ke'aretz mitzrayim hi. The land which you are coming to inherit is emphatically and deliberately different than Eretz Mitzrayim. Asher yitzatem isham, asher tizrad zaracha v'yishkit avraglacha kegan hayara. Because there you watered your land with an irrigation system. In fact, every day the Nile River overflows at a predictable moment. And so the water flows into the irrigation system and your crops are easily and effortlessly irrigated. But the land that you are coming to inherit, it is a land of hills and, and valleys. Even if you had a river, it wouldn't help you because you wouldn't easily be able to irrigate. The only option is to drink water by, uh, by, by the, the grace of heavens, right? We, we, we wait, we depend on God giving us rain in order to have water in Eretz Yisrael. And therefore, says Pasuk Yudet, therefore, and this is the key, Eretz Asher Hashem Elokecha Doresh It is a land which God seeks. Tamid God's eyes are always upon it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. In other words, the fact that Eretz Yisrael does not and cannot have a river in its midst contains a very important theological idea, and that is that the land of Israel is a land where people must look to God for survival, must recognize their total dependence upon God. In this way, they will constantly recall God and remain committed to His commands. And in this way, they will prevent the disastrous failure of the Garden of Eden, where an easy lifestyle makes Adam and Chava forget their commitment to God, I'm putting forget in quotes, and lead to their expulsion um, from this idyllic life. And this, by the way, is where Lot went wrong. Lot thought he could have his cake and eat it too. He wants to go back to Gan Hashem. He wants the idyllic lifestyle, but without the committed lifestyle. Because note how right after it says that he's looking for Gan Hashem, it says he's looking for Eretz Mitzrayim. Lot equates the Garden of Eden with the land of Egypt. He's looking for the economic boon. He's not looking for the commitment. For him, 
Gan Eden is a place which is Kula Mashke, not a place which is Kol Hashem Mitalechbo. And this idea, I think, is um, is is also found at the very end of the Torah in um, in uh, Parshat Vizota Bracha, at the very very end of Moshe's Bracha to Am Yisrael. Here he is sending them into Eretz Yisrael, and he says um, he says uh, in Pasuk Kavchet. Um, well, let's start before that in uh, in pasuk Kavzayin. Meona elokei kedem umitachat zrot olam vayigaresh mipanecha oyev vayomer hashmed vayishkon Israel betach. I'm I'm emphasizing certain words because all of these words are words that appear at the end of the story of Gan Eden, the story of the curses of Gan Eden. Here, God is instead of banishing them from Gan Eden, vayigaresh mipanecha oyev, He is banishing them from um, the, he's banishing uh, the enemies Vayishkon Yisrael Betach instead of Vayishkon um, the Kruvim in order to prevent their access God is now again once again placing them in um, uh, he's placing them back in uh, in Eretz Yisrael and here what is described is um, uh, El Eretz Dagan Vetirosh. He's putting them in a land which is a land which which has produce. But here we're told Afshamav Yarfutal, and but its heavens give water. In other words, Eretz Israel is a land which it blossoms, but only if we learn how to cultivate our relationship with God, because God determines how much water we get. And we conclude, therefore, with some insights into this major theme of the Torah. The Torah actually begins in paradise, and here we just saw it ends also in paradise. The venue is different, but the conditions are very similar, although one condition is very, very different, and that is that Eretz Yisrael has no water source. The goal of the Torah, then, is to return to the conditions, the precinct conditions of Ganadin, harmony between man and nature, harmony between man and animal, harmony between man and God, and I deliberately skip harmony between man and woman because that's really for another shear. That's for a shear about shear shirim, but we obviously don't have time for that right now. Um, the goal of the Torah is to return to Ganadin, but with one very significant difference, and that is without the easy irrigation of the land, and instead the conditions are ripe for acknowledging and recognizing constantly and consciously and deliberately our dependence on God. And so our survival in the land of Israel is like Ganadin, conditional. Our ability to maintain our idyllic lifestyle, the one which we have yearned for so many years, is dependent upon our maintenance of a committed lifestyle. Shabbat Shalom.